Amen. Well, good morning. Our text this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. We'll be in verses 18 through 21 in just a few moments. The power of Easter. I recently read a story of a school fire in the town of Atasca, Texas. This fire took place just before World War II, and sadly, it took the lives of 263 children. There was scarcely a family in town which was not touched by this horrifying tragedy. Now, during the war, Atasca remained without a school facility. But when the war ended, the town, like many others, began to expand. And in fact, they built a new school, which featured what was called at the time the finest sprinkler system in the world. Civic pride ran high. Honor students were selected to guide citizens and visitors on tours of the new facility to show them the finest, most advanced sprinkler system that technology could supply and that money could purchase. Never again would Itasca be visited by such a tragedy. Well, with the post-war boom, the town continued to grow, and seven years later, it was necessary to enlarge the school. And in adding the new wing, it was discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected. Isn't that something? The finest sprinkler system in the world never connected to the main water supply. And sadly, that is a parable of what happens in many of our lives. Far too many believers don't know understand and appropriate the power of God that is available to them. We all have an outward appearance of function, but at times we fail to connect to the power source. Instead, we do things on our own. And so the most urgent practical question for every Christian gathered here this morning is this. Are we aware of the fact that the almighty power of God is available to us. The Apostle Paul wanted Christians to understand the greatness of God's power that is at work in us. In his letter to the Ephesian Christian church, he offers up a prayer that begins in verse 15 of chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians. And in just a moment, I'd like for you to listen to the last part of Paul's prayer, beginning in verse 18, where Paul makes a final request that his readers would know, experience, and live with the power of God in their lives. And so let's listen as the word of God is read. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. There are, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, which he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Merlene. Have you ever listened to someone try to describe something that they're just really, really excited about? Something that maybe completely amazed them? They'll say things like, oh, it was great. It was awesome. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was stupendous. It was unbelievable. And we kind of pile up one word after another in order to try to convey some sense of our excitement or our enthusiasm. Well, Paul kind of does that in the second part of verse 19. He starts to, to talk about the power of God. And I think that he gets excited and starts to pile up words to describe it. And maybe we lose some sense of that building excitement in the English translation. But the words are all there. Power, might, strength. But maybe we miss that building sense of enthusiasm. A popular paraphrase, the message captures the feeling just a little bit better, I think. Here in verse 19, when it says, Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. Do you hear the exuberance? Do you hear the excitement as Paul describes the power of God that is available to his people? Paul's excitement overflows now into verse 20 when he shares Two great examples of the power of God at work. In fact, the two greatest examples. Listen to verse 20. Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so the first example of God's incomparable power demonstrated to us is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. How much power? did that take? Remember that Jesus' resurrection was very different from when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We mentioned that last week. And just a few days before his death, Lazarus' resurrection, of course, was temporary. He would still die a second time. But in Jesus, in Jesus, we don't have just a, a temporary removal of death, but a permanent defeat of the power of death. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see eternal life, a resurrected body, a deliverance from the permanence and the helplessness of death. The power of God, which raised Christ Jesus from the dead, was God's most powerful victory. It provides for us a permanent hope, it provides a bridge back into a relationship with God that gives us that hope for eternity, all because Jesus was raised from the dead. The moment of Jesus' resurrection is the great turning point in history from a low, desperate place when it seemed that hope was dead, that Jesus' claim to be God's son was in doubt, and it changes to one of victory of triumph, God's incredible power over Satan and death. And Paul's assertion in his prayer is that this same power is available for us today. Power demonstrated through the resurrection. But then Paul includes a second example 
of God's great power that's available to us through what we're calling the exaltation of Christ. He is now, Paul says, seated at the right hand of God. We don't talk so much about this aspect of what Jesus did for us. We, we focus on the death and the resurrection. It's, it's very common in Scripture for the reign of Jesus to be linked, of course, to Jesus' death and his resurrection. But the exaltation simply completes that process. Jesus died. God raised him from the dead, and now he is enthroned in heaven. But it's very critical for us to understand what is happening now. Who is in control? What Jesus' role is, and what this means for you and for me. And so the remaining verses of our text elaborate on this idea of the reign of Christ and spell out for us what it means now that Jesus is exalted. I love how the excitement of the power of God points directly to Jesus. If you think about all that Paul had done and seen in his ministry, he'd seen people healed in miraculous ways. He'd seen great victories. He'd been shipwrecked and delivered from that. He'd been bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake, and lived to tell the story. He'd cast out demons. Paul had even raised people from the dead. In Acts chapter 19, the text tells us that while Paul was in Ephesus, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. But here, when he talks about the power of God, when he describes it, when he gets caught up in it, what does he talk about? Does he mention any of those miracles or any of those experiences in his life? No. He points to Jesus. It's not that he wasn't excited about the great work and power that God had done in his life, but for Paul, everything points to Jesus. Held up against the resurrection, everything else pales in comparison. With Paul, the focus is always on Christ. It leads to Christ. It exalts Christ. It points people to Christ. And this is the power of God to exalt Jesus and lift him up and recognize him as ruler over all. Now, remember that Paul wasn't a follower of Jesus during Jesus' life on earth. He wasn't there when Jesus taught and when he died and when he was resurrected. Now, later he did meet the Lord on the Damascus road, but much like us, he heard about Jesus from someone else, secondhand. And yet still, he is focused on the cross and on the resurrection and on the exaltation of Jesus. I hope that you can see a, a, a model for us here. When we see God move in power around us or through us, it has to take us to Jesus. It has to exalt Jesus. It has to proclaim Jesus to the world. It's never about us. Not even the things that God has done through us as if we are so spiritual or successful or blessed, hashtag blessed. It's always about Jesus. It's on him that we must stay focused. Yes, the power of God is for us, but the purpose of knowing that power is to bring us to Jesus and to keep us there. 
So now that we've seen the power demonstrated in verses 19 and 20, I want to talk for just a few minutes about power in action. Jesus' reign in heaven is the topic of verses 21 and 22, where we see the power of God in action through the Lord. And that, again, is a power that we are invited to share in. And the first way that we see the power in action is that Jesus has power over all spiritual beings. Now, this would have been particularly encouraging to the people in Ephesus and the other cities that this letter was sent to because they lived in a highly spiritual culture. We know that there was a lot of magic practice in Ephesus. There was a huge temple in Ephesus dedicated to the pagan goddess named Diana or Artemis. That was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. The culture of the city was rife with spiritual rituals and sorcery and divination. And so the words, the words authority and rule and power and dominion, those would have resonated with those Ephesian Christians because they refer to those spiritual forces that surrounded them. And I want you to see here that Paul claims that Jesus is not only stronger, not only that he is over them, but that he is far above, far above any of them. I hope that's encouraging to you. In this world, in this culture that we reside in, if Jesus is our Lord, we don't need to fear. We can put aside our anxiety and our worry and our despair about political division and about current events and about cultural divides. And we can do that because Jesus, whom we know and love and serve, is far above any other spiritual force in this world. Jesus reigns. And when we stay focused on him, we can know that he is stronger than any rule or authority or power or dominion or demon or temptation to sin that this world might throw at us. Let me borrow a story and share it with you. Think of yourself as living in an apartment house. You live there under a landlord who has made your life miserable. He charges exorbitant rent. And when you can't pay, he loans you the money at a horrible rate of interest to get you even further into his debt. He barges into your apartment at all hours of day and night, wrecks and dirties the place, and then charges you extra for not maintaining the premises. Your life is miserable. And then someone comes and knocks on your door one day and introduces himself and he says, I have taken over this apartment house. I've purchased it. You can live here as long as you like. Your past due bill has been all canceled. The rent is paid up into the future. I am going to be living here with you in the manager's apartment. Well, what a joy. You are saved. You are delivered out of the clutches of the old landlord. But then what happens? Well, you hardly have time to rejoice in your newfound freedom when another knock comes at the door. And there he is. It's the old landlord. 
mean, glowering, demanding as ever. He's come for the rent, he says. What do you do? Do you pay him? Of course you don't. Do you go out and pop him on the nose? No, he's bigger and meaner than you are. So instead, you simply and confidently tell him, you'll have to take that up with the new landlord. Well, he may bellow and threaten and wheedle and cajole, and you just quietly tell him, take it up with the new landlord. And if he comes back a dozen times with all sorts of threats and arguments, waving legal-looking documents in your face, you simply tell him yet once again, take it up with the new landlord. And in the end, he has to. And he knows it too. He just hopes that he can bully and threaten and deceive you into doubting the new landlord will really take care of things. You see, friends, this is the situation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Once Christ Jesus has delivered you from the power of sin and death and the devil, you can depend on it. That old landlord may soon come back knocking at your door. And what is your defense? How do we keep him from getting the whip and the advantage over us again? We send him to the new landlord. We send him to Jesus. When Jesus Christ truly takes charge of our minds, bringing our every thought captive to him, we become spiritually powerful. We operate with supernatural power, not power of our own, but power through the gift of God's Holy Spirit in us. We walk under God's complete control. That is the power of God in action in our lives. There's one more way that the action, the power is shown, and that is in verse 22 and 23, when we see that Christ is head over everything for the church. This is a, a really amazing verse. Christ as head, as reigning over all. That's amazing enough. But here to read that he is over all things for the church. That's even more amazing. And then look at, at how we are described. The fullness of him who fills all in all. You see, folks, this is an incredibly high view of the church. And that's how God sees it. We, who are the church, are the purpose of Jesus' powerful reign. Jesus' reign is for us, his body. And we, who are the church, are filled with the fullness of Christ. And I want you to notice in this passage, there are no qualifying words, no clauses to say, ideally, the church is filled with the fullness of Christ, or at its best, or the church is supposed to be. No, those aren't there. This is what we are, plain and simple. The church, that is you and I, corporately together as the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. We are filled with all the fullness of of Christ. But you know, sometimes we have a hard time holding on to this high view of Christ's church. 
And I think that's because we see the human institution. We see what is tangible, what's around us, rather than the spiritual institution. We tend to focus on various opinions or on the appearance of the building or the amounts in the budget. We see the deficiencies. We see the failures or our disappointments in this human institution. Or we focus on our actions. I go to church. I give to the church. I volunteer at the church. Now, all of these things are real and they're valid, but they need to be kept in perspective. Our attempts at church are just that, our work, our practice, our victories, and yes, our failures. And our human ways will always be lacking and insufficient and flawed in some way. But above what we do is what he does. It is his body. He is head and he fills his church. It is in his church that God has chosen to reveal his power in this world. The church is full with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way so that we can know God's power. Not our way, but his way. Not our preferences or our procedures or our passions, but his. Not our power, but his. I once read a story about an army boot camp. And at boot camp, the military trains its recruits in how to use various weapons. And one of the training sessions was teaching the soldiers how to handle grenades. Now to start out with, they'd hand the recruits a dummy grenade. I guess that's because they didn't want the young recruits to blow themselves up right away. And so they would give them that dummy grenade and teach them the proper technique for holding it and for tossing it. Then they would grade the recruits on how well they did how far they could throw the dummy grenades. Then they would give the recruits live grenades. And one of the instructors noted, you'd be surprised how much farther the recruits could throw those live grenades. Isn't that great? Now why could the recruits throw those live grenades so much farther? Because they knew the power that they held in their hands. And folks, it's the same for you and for me. When we understand how much power Christ has placed in our hands, then our lives begin to change. And we can do more. Because we expect to do more because we do it His way in His power. You see, that's the difference the power of Easter can make. Understanding why Christ rose from the dead, it's not enough. We have got to do something about it. We've got to take some action steps to connect to the power, to receive the power. Understanding these concepts that we've talked about this morning is not enough to get us into eternity. We've got to accept it and then act upon it. And so this morning, let me ask this. What is holding you back? What's holding you back from experiencing more of the power of God? 
What is keeping you from allowing him to be Lord, that is master, ruler, authority of your life? Just like he is of all creation. I'm going to urge you this morning, stop holding back. To allow God to open the eyes of your heart to know the power of God which raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. See, only then will you and I know what it means to be fully alive in Christ and only then will we corporately, as we are already called the body of Christ, be filled with the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this morning, I want to issue an invitation to you to connect to the power supply, to receive the power available to you through Jesus. Maybe you've already connected to that supply at some time in your life, and maybe today is a day to reconnect, to recharge. Or, if you've never connected to the power supply, if you're like that school building that we talked at the beginning of the message, a great outward system, but not connected to the power source. Folks, it's not going to do you any good. So we invite you to connect to Jesus, to connect to his church. The church is a hospital, not a hall of fame. We are here to learn, to heal, and to grow together through the power available only through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, after we share communion together, we're going to have a closing song. I want to encourage you, if you need to make some sort of spiritual decision, don't go out the front doors of this building before talking to somebody about it. We're going to have some of our elders and their wives. They're going to be in this back corner under that prayer corner sign at the end of the service. They're going to be there to pray with you. I'm going to be by the front doors. You could make an appointment with me today to say, I want to sit down and talk more. I want to learn more about how to connect to the power source, what Jesus calls being born again. I'd love to talk with you about that. May God bless you today as you think about the power available through only Jesus Christ. On the night before he died, Jesus initiated this meal that we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And it is his gift to those that choose to follow him. It's given to us to help us to remember and to connect to his sacrifice that he made for each one of us. And so this morning, as the music plays, we invite you to share together in the Lord's Supper. There are four stations, two here at the front. There's two at the back. We invite you just to make your way to one of those stations. The cups are stacked together, the juice on top, the bread underneath. You're welcome to just stay at the station and take communion, or if you'd like to bring it back to your seat as the music plays, you're welcome to do that as, as well. As you just think about Jesus, the bread, his broken body, the cup, his shed blood that paid the price so that we might step into the power of forgiveness. Let's pray together. 
our gracious Heavenly Father. Your word states that as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, that we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes again. And we thank you for offering us this hope, even in death. And we thank you for the hope that comes from the resurrection that reminds us that you have so much more for us. And Father, we thank you for the certainty of our future because of your promise to return again. Thank you for this communion meal. Thank you for these symbols of our spiritual connection with you. And thank you for not only providing a way for us to have our sins taken away at the cross, but for welcoming us into your forever family when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Father, we pray that you will bless this holy time as we share together, commune together. And it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.